The book of Jonah is a masterpiece of scriptural story that weaves together a very human and relatable character in Jonah with a compelling illustration of the true character of the Lord, interlaced with suspense and surprise. It may be one of the best books in our recent study to liken to ourselves. In this week's study, we do just that and ask the question, what am I running away from? Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study Scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hey everyone, welcome to our study this week, Jonah and Micah. A little bit different this week, I don't have Krista with me. And I'm going completely off the cuff. This is just me opening my scriptures and sharing what I've studied. I haven't written out a script for a podcast episode. Uh, usually we're a little bit more thoughtful and putting together an outline and and uh, how we want to talk. Uh, but, but there's an idea in here that has captivated me, and I didn't want to wait to record um, and and dilute my my thought or my feeling by trying to write it all down. So maybe you've had experiences like that, but uh, if if this is less of an experience for you, then just move on by and forgive me a, an odd week. But um, I want to start actually in the book of Micah, and we'll come back to Jonah, because there's um, an idea in Micah that encapsulates something that I feel like we've been studying, Krista and I, over the past couple of weeks in these minor prophets, the Book of Twelve, um, and Micah, as one of them, shares a very similar thought. So this is Micah chapter six, verses uh, seven and eight, and it says, "Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, or with ten thousands of rivers of oil?" Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God? You remember um, Jesus was once um, uh, caught in a group of uh, scribes and Pharisees, and he uh, levels some pretty harsh criticisms at them, calls them hypocrites. This is in Matthew chapter 23, which uh, the Greek word hypocrite means a play actor. You're pretending, you're putting on a face that doesn't, uh, isn't true to what's inside. But as part of that criticism, this is Matthew 23, verse 23, he says to them, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and of anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Now, if you're a scribe or a Pharisee up to that point, you're thinking uh, this is a logical critique because they do this to each other all the time. They nitpick which part of the law they are obeying and which one they're not obeying. And there's all these uh, kind of interwars between the different sects of Judaism about what's more important, which traditions, which laws, which sections of Scripture are more important. So if you were to stop there, you would think, well, this is just Jesus, uh, a Jew critiquing other Jews the same way that they critique each other. What probably surprised them 
was him quoting Micah chapter 6, verse 8, at least in part, and pointing out to them that the most important part of the law, the weightier matters of the law that he says are judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other and to leave the other undone. In other words, what we mentioned last week and the week before, uh, Hosea explained it wonderfully. Uh, the critique that these minor prophets have of the people of their day is that they have missed what it is that the Lord is trying to get them to understand about him, that he is a merciful and loving God, and what he's inviting them to do to those around him, which is to be merciful and humble and faithful in balance with uh, being just and obedient. And so I wanted to start with that because the whole story of Jonah is built on that foundation that this is who God is. At the very end of the story of Jonah, um, we all are familiar. I, I'm excited that this is what we get to study this week because we've had so many weeks of just prophetic dictation that now we finally get a story to kind of grapple with and see ourselves in. Um, so we know the story of Jonah, that he is called to preach to Nineveh, which is a, um, a, a city. It will become the capital of Babylon. It's not necessarily at this point, but, um, but it's a city that he doesn't want to visit, a city that uh, he senses is wicked. And so he turns and tries to flee and then is swallowed by the whale and then is spit out by the whale and then ends up going to Nineveh, preaches, they repent, and it makes him angry. That's a really beautifully well-told story, um, retold in a short time with horrible uh, omissions. But at the end of this, um, this is chapter 4, it says that it, meaning the repentance of the people, displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, now this to me is fascinating. This is Jonah saying, I knew it, uh, what it was that Micah is describing, what Hosea described. He says, I pray thee, O Lord, uh, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, and slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil, or, or returnest, turns away evil. In other words, the reason that Jonah didn't do what he said he wasn't going, uh, what, he, what he was commanded to do, wasn't because he was trying to be disobedient. It wasn't because uh, he was averse to the idea of going to Nineveh. It's because he knew that if he went and proclaimed God to them, that they God would be merciful to them. That if they repented, he would, he would uh, cover them, uh, atone for them, and free them from the bondage of sin and guilt. And he knew that and didn't want to go. So this whole story of Jonah is built on that framework that God is a merciful God and that people... Uh, that the, the story is put in here to highlight that um, we as a people, we meaning ancient Jews, but also we maybe as, as modern Christians um, might miss that. Uh, we might see the practices and the ordinances, uh, the prescriptions and the rules and the organization and the policies and, the, uh, and, and miss the loving, generous, kind God that's behind all of it. So with that, here's the idea that has, has captivated me. 
At the beginning of the story of Jonah, there are three things that Jonah does to try and get away from the inevitability that God is going to be loving and kind to his people. And I want to highlight those three things uh, as maybe a potential place for you to start your study, pose some questions to you, um, and uh, because I think this is it's, it's a fascinating idea. Um, a couple of years ago, well, I'll, I'll start with this. Uh, this is Jonah chapter 1, uh, verse 3, the first word that describes what Jonah tries to do to escape this generous God being generous and kind to other people. Is it says in verse 3, Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Uh, Tarshish is the complete opposite direction from Nineveh. So he's doing a complete 180, walking the other direction. Um, this story, I maybe mentioned already, is, is beautifully narrated. It is one of the pristine examples of, of Hebrew narrative in the Old Testament. Um, and part of the story is the irony, the surprise, uh, the suspense that's built into the story. Uh, if you're, uh, as, as most uh, ancient Hebrews were, uh, someone that listens to these stories as they're told, this one would have had you on the edge of your seat. And so this is a surprising turn of events. God commands a prophet to do something, and that prophet not only doesn't obey, we've had accounts of prophets or prophet-like people being false prophets or speaking falsely or turning away or not being obedient before. This one, he tries to flee, and that's a whole new idea that we have not come across yet in the text. A prophet, knowing everything he knows about God, trying to flee. Now the question I think for us is, well, what does it mean uh, maybe figuratively, to try and flee from this merciful, slow to anger, great kindness and return or turn away evil kind of God that Jonah says he knew God was. Um, I look back at some old seminary notes and and one of the ideas, one of the kind of readiness, beginning of class activities that I had, it was my very, I think it was my second year of teaching seminary, was I I told students, okay, we're going to play hide-and-seek. You can't leave the classroom. I'm going to close my eyes and count to 20. Uh, ready, go. And I closed my eyes, and there was a scramble. And when I opened my eyes, it was funny because there were a couple of students that took me seriously, and they were trying to find creative spaces to hide in this seminary classroom, which there weren't any, right? There's the, the cabinets in the back have cubby slots in them that could maybe fit your arm in, but definitely not your body. Um Everywhere else is just walls and tables and chairs. There's no closets. Uh, there's no blankets. There's nothing you can hide under. The only thing that was close was the piano. And there were a couple, there were four or five students that were cramped behind the piano. So there were some students, good humor, that were trying to do it. But there was a large majority of students that were just sitting in the middle of class looking at me like, you got to be kidding me. And the point of the exercise was, look how impossible it is to hide from me, a seminary teacher in a classroom. How ridiculous is it that Jonah tries to hide from the Lord? Now, that was 15 years ago, and I look back on that and I think, I'm not entirely sure that Jonah fleeing is him trying to hide from God because he doesn't want to do something. I'm definitely not convinced that Jonah is trying to hide from God necessarily because he wants his sins to be invisible to God. I think there's something more here. And so I stop right there and just ask the question, uh, what, what does this figuratively represent from us? In what ways do we maybe try and flee um, from or hide from the 
merciful, slow to anger, great kindness, turn away evil God that Jonah describes in chapter 4. That's the first word. The second word uh, is translated in in multiple places as, as the same word and sometimes as different words, but it shows up repeatedly in the story on purpose. It's supposed to be kind of a narrative marker to keep the story going. Uh, it shows up first in verse 4, and it's translated as sent out. It says, the Lord sent out a great wind unto the sea. But it's translated, the same word is translated in verse 5 as cast forth. As this wave, as the storm comes up, the, the men in the boat that Jonah's in start to cast forth their wares and the things in the boat. Um, and eventually, if you follow that word cast, uh, in verse 12, Jonah says, cast me into the sea. Uh, ironically, these men uh, who are not uh, Hebrews, who don't worship Jehovah, uh, are more kind and generous than Jonah initially is because they try and save him. They try to do anything else they can before they actually do throw Jonah overboard. And then, of course, in verse 15, they cast him into the sea. And then Jonah cries that out in chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, Thou hast cast me into the deep, in verse 4. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Uh, this idea of casting out intrigues me as well. And maybe I, as a second way that people might find themselves separated from God's mercy or his love. Uh, there's multiple places where casting out can come from. Uh, we can feel cast out, of course, because of the actions of others. Uh, sometimes, maybe more often, we can feel cast out because of our own uncomfortability in in particular spaces. Uh, do I feel cast out of prayer? Do I feel cast out of, um, of the sacred moment of the sacrament? Do I feel cast out of temple observance? Do I feel cast out of pondering, reading the scriptures? And the question to this one, just like the question to flee, is, well, what is it then that causes me to feel cast out? This isn't fleeing where I'm doing something. It's something that's that's causing me to feel outside, um, uncomfortable with uh, my relationship with God. And what is it? What are the things that might make me feel like I'm cast out? And if you want to take it a step further and truly be generous and kind to others, then you ask the follow-up question, um, is there anyone in my circle of influence that might feel cast out for whatever reason that I could reach out to and invite in? I see gathering in as the exact antithesis to casting out, whereas Satan uh, or or mortal or worldly influences might conspire to make us feel disconnected or separated from God's efforts are to gather in and and bring together. So there's the second word, cast out. The third one is the one that was most striking to me and I think maybe the most problematic to to uh, to deal with. And it's in verse 6. Uh, I guess to back up to verse 5, there the men in the ship are casting forth their wares into the ocean. It says in verse 5, But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Now what's interesting to me is um, there's a foil to this image. In Matthew uh, and in Mark, 
I think also in Luke, there's an account of Jesus asleep in the boat as the fishers are on the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes up. You remember, this is the moment at which they say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Jesus is asleep while they're trying to right this ship. And Jesus uh, awakes, calms the sea, and rebukes them for their lack of faith. And I've always thought on that boat, there's there's two miracles. Uh, first, there's the miracle of Jesus calming the ocean. I think the greater miracle is that Jesus is asleep in the middle of a storm. To have that kind of peaceful, calm assurance that God is in control is powerful. Well, this sleep is not that. This is something different. And I don't know, this would require a lot of reading into the text, which I won't do for you and maybe you can do. But I think it's a compelling and an interesting question to ask, why is Jonah asleep? And maybe more importantly, what is it that makes me feel asleep? Um, do I feel asleep in my my relationship with God? That's not a, a critical question. Uh, that's an honest admission that sometimes in our relationships with God, uh, things are exciting and thrilling and motivating, but at other times they're not. And they might feel downhearted or downcast or, or like things are asleep, like our spiritual relationship with God is asleep. And that can be, I think, one of the most problematic, uh, one of the most troubling, uh, difficult, maybe difficult um, barriers to our relationship with a kind and generous God to overcome. Whereas fleeing and being cast out have maybe really clear instigations. I can identify uh, when I'm trying to flee, or I can identify some things that are causing me to be cast out. There are a multitude of things that might cause us to be asleep or to feel asleep, and they may not always be completely under our control. And so the third question, like the first and the second, um, what is it that that is causing me or influencing me or maybe making it difficult for me? Uh, what makes me be or feel asleep in my relationship to God? And that's a tricky question to ask and maybe one that's better asked personally um, in your individual study. But those three ideas, I think, are an interesting way to look at the story of Jonah, uh, to look at our own, put ourselves in Jonah's shoes and to see uh, what is our relationship with this kind, loving, merciful um, God that turns away evil? Uh, is he someone that I'm running towards and embracing and trying to help others to see? Is he someone that I'm fleeing from? Is he someone that I feel cast away from? Uh, or am I asleep to that part of God's nature and personality? And as we, I think, ask those questions and ponder that, studying Jonah, studying Micah, and of course, uh, following the direction of the Spirit to study whatever else comes up might give us some really inspired directions and, and feelings from our Heavenly Father. With all of that, um, I want to share something that really inspired me this week that I think is connected uh, and maybe um, a bit of hope and light if you are feeling, as we all do at times, either like you're fleeing from or cast away from or asleep to your relationship with God. Um, Brother Stephen Lund, the Young Men's General President, gave a devotional at BYU a little while ago, I think just last month called Flashes of Light. Uh, if you want something phenomenal to listen to, I highly recommend it. I want to read just a portion of it. In this uh, devotional, he tells a story of being on a trip 
and he's sitting in the back of a, of a taxi cab and he's um, being driven, I think, from the airport to his hotel, if I remember. And as he's driving, he's looking out at the scenery around him that's captivating. Uh, he's in Asia, if I remember. And as he's driving, he, they, they come up on um, what he's anticipating being some really beautiful scenery, but he's disappointed because they cross this bridge and the bridge um, bars his view. And so I'll, I'll pick up there where he explains uh, that experience. He says this, As the morning sky gradually lightened, I saw evidence of an estuary on the left and an approaching bridge. As we drove onto the bridge, I was disappointed to find that the view was blocked by both sides by tall concrete slab walls that apparently had been erected to contain the traffic noises of the expressway. I absently stared at the wall opposite me, wondering what was beyond as, I, as it whirred by at high speed. As we left the bridge and the barricade ended, I glanced back at the vista that I had not been able to see and noted that it was just as I had imagined, a large body of water with a forested far edge and a few boats coming and going. I found myself leaning forward to see farther behind us to confirm that, through the morning fog, a large sailboat was approaching the seaway under the far end of the bridge. Suddenly, my jet-lagged, muddled brain snapped into a moment of clarity as I wondered, how did I know to look for that sailboat? I could not have known it was there, but somehow I did. Somehow I had been looking for it. In fact, I realized none of what I saw in the fully revealed vista had surprised me. I seemed to know where to find the wooded outline of the far shore, the barges and the buildings on the distant rise, but how? It dawned on me that the slabs of the massive concrete wall on the bridge had small gaps between them of a fraction of an inch. And as we sped across the bridge, my eyes had been fixed upon the blur of gray concrete, punctuated by minute flashes of bright light from the morning sun through those narrow slits, slits too small for me to detect anything but brief flickers and flashes. Yet somewhere in my mind, undetected information had been transmitted in those bursts of light that was apparently compiled and subliminally stitched together in the latent vision of what lay beyond. I knew what was there before I knew that I knew. And I would have missed the marvel of it all if I had not turned back to look. And then he connects this to us. He says, as we drive through life's journey, there will be flashes of light. The Lord promised Isaiah, I will make darkness light before them. Think about this. Life often presents itself as an incessant gray wall stretching off into nowhere. But here and there, if you watch for them, flickering assurances of God's love for us will become evident. Um, I think at least one message of the story of Jonah is that what, for whatever reason might cause us to flee from or feel cast away from or to be, feel asleep to our relationship from God, the reality of God still exists. Even if I can't see that lake and the sailboat, the lake and the sailboat are still there. And even if all I think I'm seeing is this stone uh, bridge wall right in front of me, there are flashes of light that illuminate this gracious, merciful, slow to anger God that is waiting just on the other side of mortality's walls. And so as we study Jonah this week, I'm going to be looking for, I need to look for, some of those flashes of light in my life that help me to see just a little bit more clearly who God truly is and how I can uh, truly strengthen and develop my relationship with him. 
Thank you so much for studying with me this week. Uh, Krista should be back next week, but thanks for being here and we'll see you next episode.